Well, it's probably fair to say that there's an anxiety epidemic at the moment. Uh, Last week, the Wall Street Journal reported uh, that according to a recent survey, 27% of respondents said that they had symptoms of an anxiety disorder. Uh, That was up from only 8% in 2019. And perhaps you might say, well, of course, anxiety is increasing. We've lived through a pandemic. The economy's on fire. Uh, there's a potential of nuclear war with Russia in the background. There are all these scare stories about climate change. Of course, people are anxious. I, I literally read a headline last night from the week. Uh, it said, is World War Three on the horizon? And according to the the quote that went along with it, analysts are saying that we're apparently drifting into one of the most dangerous periods in human history. Uh, Maybe you say, well, how can people not be anxious if this is what we're being told? And all these things have no doubt added to people's anxiety levels. But there's more to it than that. Well, these things have no doubt led to an increase in anxiety. People were actually talking about an anxiety epidemic long before COVID. A book entitled The Anxiety Epidemic was published in 2018. That's two years before COVID. But that wasn't even the first book with that name. An earlier book called The Anxiety Epidemic was published in 1986. A 2008 article in the independent newspaper was entitled The Anxiety Epidemic. Why are children so unhappy? In America, a 2012 headline in the Atlantic magazine talked about a national anxiety epidemic. And in 2016, uh, here in the UK, the Observer proclaimed only fundamental social change can defeat the anxiety epidemic. So yes, when there's a big health scare and people are forbidden to leave their homes, when when food prices rise, when uh, fuel prices go through the roof, when green weather maps turn red and we're told that the world is literally burning, of course people are going to be anxious. But when we talk about anxiety, we're not talking about a new phenomenon. We're talking about something which goes back to almost the beginning of human existence. For example, we could go back 3,000 years to an ancient Hebrew song which warns against eating the bread of anxious toil. That song is in the Bible and we know it today as Psalm 127. We could go back to an ancient proverb from around the same time, uh, one that we read earlier. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. How many people around us uh, feel weighed down by anxiety, uh, and yet we, we have a good word to proclaim uh, to make them glad. So those are 3,000-year-old psalms and proverbs. We could go back 2,000 years ago to Jesus telling people not to be anxious about tomorrow. We could go to the Apostle Paul uh, who says, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, 
And yet at the same time, he also talks about feeling the daily pressure of his anxiety for all the churches. People think that the Bible is out of date, uh, but human nature doesn't change. Human beings worry about the same things that we've always worried about. And so the Bible is always relevant. Anxiety then is nothing new. In fact, I'm sure we all know what it's like to feel anxious before a big event like an exam or a job interview and so on. That's just a normal part of life. But there is also a crippling kind of anxiety which can lead to us lying awake at night, which in certain cases can almost stop us functioning. Perhaps you've been there. And it's this second kind of anxiety which has reached epidemic proportions in recent decades. And tonight we're going to think about some of the causes of anxiety and also ask whether there's a cure. And I trust tonight will be helpful both for those who don't yet believe in Jesus as well as for those who do. Obviously, as this event is being hosted by a church, uh, we believe that anxiety is ultimately a spiritual issue and not just a psychological one. But neither am I going to say, well, we'll become a Christian and you'll never be anxious again. Because Christians struggle with anxiety too. That's clear from both the Bible and experience. And yet, at the same time, we we have a testimony on the back of the leaflet we've given out this week. It's the story of someone uh, who who went from having to sleep with the light on every night uh, to be able to turn it off when they became a Christian. Something obviously changed for them. Maybe you're wondering if the same thing can happen for you. There's a great statement in the Bible from King David He was a man who spent a chunk of his life surrounded by enemies. Uh, He was a man who knew what it was like to be an outsider. He was a man who knew what it was like to be betrayed. He was a man who knew what it was like to have his own family turn against him. And yet this same David says in in one place, In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Perhaps you think that's just so far from your own experience. The, the idea of just lying down and sleeping in peace, despite uh, whatever was going on around you, seems like a pipe dream. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Another part of the Bible says of God, he gives to his beloved sleep. That comes from Psalm 127. I've already quoted part of it tonight. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives sleep to his beloved. Now we do need to realise that at times the Bible speaks in general principles rather than uh, giving us statements which will be true in every situation without exception. Uh, I'll give you an example. (coughs) When the Bible says train up a child in the way that he should go and when he's old he'll not depart from it. That's a principle that we see fulfilled again and again. 
But it's not necessarily a blanket promise that no child who's ever been brought up in the right way will ever go astray. And it's the same with the statement that God gives his beloved sleep. Christians can have sleepless nights. If you have sleepless nights, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Uh, And that can be for a whole host of reasons, some of which may be physical, uh, some of which may be spiritual. Uh, But we do have here a general principle. Here is an offer of sleep instead of stress. Or maybe better, sleep in the midst of stressful circumstances. Sleep in the midst of stressful circumstances because we can trust God that he knows what he's doing. Jesus himself said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And Jesus is the one we want to focus on tonight. Jesus promises to give rest. Jesus came into an anxious world. He came into a world longing for rest. And Jesus' coming had been promised from almost the very beginning. Men and women were looking for the promised rest bringer. When Noah was born, do you know why his parents called him Noah? Well, Noah sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. And they said, this one shall bring us rest. They thought Noah was the one that God had promised. They thought he was the Messiah, but but, but he wasn't and he didn't bring rest. And that rest that Noah wasn't able to bring is found in Jesus. So how, how does Jesus give us rest? Well, to answer that, let's start by thinking of one of the things that causes anxiety. And that is the feeling that everything is out of control. And particularly the feeling that we aren't in control. In 2020, a German professor of sociology published a book entitled The Uncontrollability of the World. The Uncontrollability of the World. In it, he diagnoses a big problem making us anxious and he suggests a cure. So what's his diagnosis? His diagnosis is that we're seeking to make the world controllable. He says that we tend to encounter the world as a series of objects that we have to conquer, master or exploit. And when we we come across situations that we can't control, it leads to frustration, anger and despair. So what does he suggest that we do instead? Instead he says we're to be open to to what extends beyond our control. In other words, we're, we're to accept and even embrace the fact that we're not in control. And then we won't feel so anxious. Just just realize that, that you're not in control. Stop trying to be in control and you'll not be so anxious. Well, as a Christian, I think his diagnosis is so close to the truth. He gets a good bit of the way there. He's right to say that we become anxious when we feel like we're not in control. And even his cure is half right, that we need to embrace the fact that we're not in control. So far, so good. We do feel anxious when we realise that we're not in control. 
But what's the proper solution to that? Well, surely the, the proper solution isn't to say, well, the world is out of control and you just have to accept it. Uh, that's that's not, not much of a hopeful message. Rather, the solution is to realise and accept and even rejoice in the fact that even though we are not in control, God is in control. We get anxious when we realise that we are not sovereign. But the good news of the Bible is that God is sovereign. Yes, we aren't sovereign, but God is sovereign. And if you're not familiar with the word sovereign, maybe boys and girls, you haven't heard this word sovereign before. The king or queen is sometimes called the sovereign. uh, And that that just meant that they were in charge. Um, You even used to have coins called a sovereign, I think, uh, because you had the king or queen on them. Uh, and a, a sovereign state uh, we might, is a country uh, that rules its own affairs. Uh, so to call God sovereign just means he's in control. So it is that good news because having someone in charge isn't necessarily a good thing. It depends on the character of the person. But the good news of the Bible is that the God of the Bible is not only sovereign, but he is good and kind and loving, and that he doesn't make mistakes. And he's brought you here tonight. And so here's a Christian take on the uncontrollability of the world. It comes from pastor and counsellor Paul Tripp. He says, facing your own lack of sovereignty, your own lack of control, produces either anxiety or relief. In other words, realising that we aren't in control of our lives, realising that we can't control the people around us, uh, realising that the, the sense of control we thought we had was just an illusion when people start doing things we don't want them to do, that can and will bring anxiety. Unless unless we also come to realise that someone infinitely wiser and kinder than us is actually in control instead. As one old writer put it, the more you trust God, the less you will torment yourselves. The more you trust God, the less you will torment yourselves. There is a relation, a relationship between trusting God and tormenting ourselves. As one goes up, the other goes down. Or to quote from the Bible itself, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, whose mind is fixed on you. To those caught up in an anxiety epidemic, God offers perfect peace. Here's another way to think about it. Word association, what do you think of if you hear the phrase playing God? If someone is playing God, what are they doing? Well, we tend to think of someone like Lucy Letby who who killed all those babies. She was playing God. She was putting herself in the place of God. But in a sense, we're actually putting ourselves in the place of God if we get anxious Because our plan for the world isn't working out. 
here's how one pastor put it, speaking of his own experience, because ministers struggle with this too. He says, I get anxious because I have an idea of how my life has to go, how the church has to go, how things have to go in history. And I'm afraid that God, who is in charge of history, isn't going to get it right. He's not going to do it the way it needs to be done. I know better. Of course, to actually say that out loud, we see how ridiculous it is that when we're being anxious, it's because we're being afraid that the God who is in charge of history isn't going to get history right. But that's, that's what we're doing. When we're eating up with anxiety, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. Of course, one of, the, one of the, the big things that will help us not be anxious as Christians is that whatever happens in life, we know where we're going. Whatever happens, we know where we're going. So many people are anxious about their health. We thought during the pandemic with the lengths people would go to to avoid potential infection. And we see it in the news headlines all the time. Eating this will give you cancer. No, actually, uh, eating that's fine, but eating this thing will give you cancer. But the Christian can go to bed at night praying a prayer that some of us have been taught from childhood. If I die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. If we're right with God, whatever age we are, we're ready to go because we're going to heaven. For the Christian, death is not the worst thing that can happen. Rather, the worst thing that could happen would be to die not trusting in Jesus. And if you aren't right with God tonight, if you, if you haven't yet been born again, if you haven't confessed your sins and put your trust in Jesus, then I'm not going to tell you not to be anxious because you should be anxious. You, you should be scared to go to sleep at night in case you don't wake up. You should be anxious if you're not right with God. But don't just stop there. Let that anxiety drive you to Jesus. And if you trust in him, you don't need to be anxious about death. Because all your death can do is bring you into the presence of your Saviour. Boys and girls, there was a minister in this church many years ago and the, the church manse where they lived was just down there and a, a sundial in the garden with a big stone pillar fell on one of the children. He was, he was six years old and a couple of days later, it, doctors tried to help him but, but he died and yet he, he trusted in Jesus. He was ready to go. And even after it happened, he was able, he was able to, to speak about his faith being in Jesus. All death can do for the believer is bring them into the presence of their Savior. And one of the great things about the Bible's message is that it's not about living a good life and hoping we've done enough to make it into heaven Talk about anxiety inducing because who could ever do enough? Now, someone asked me this week, how much is enough? God's standard is perfection. We all fall short of that every single day. But to know that Jesus has kept God's law perfectly in our place, to know that Jesus has taken the punishment we deserve, that is life-giving and anxiety-killing. 
So how can we have a proper attitude to, uh, to life? Uh, how can we uh, get on now with, with what we're called to do? Uh, well, there are two things, uh, two things we must do, uh, to, to quote another old writer. The first is to trust God cheerfully with, with the government of this world. Uh, in other words, to trust uh, cheerfully that, that God is sovereign and we are not. And then the second thing is to live in the joyful hope and expectation of a better world. And that, uh, that is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. So to, to function properly in this world, we need to trust that God is in, in, in charge, in control. And we need to have the hope of a better world. Because if, if, this, is, if this is all we have, if this is all we can ever hope for, well yes, we'll be anxious because this world will let us down again and again. But there is another way that starting to follow Jesus will help with anxiety. Because to become a Christian also brings you into relationship with God's people. The New Testament knows nothing of people who say they're Christians but cut themselves off from other Christians. The New Testament says nothing of people who who call themselves Christians but have no interest in fellowship with other Christians. And in fact, one of the the biggest factors leading to the anxiety epidemic is that we are increasingly uh, becoming isolated from each other as a society. I quoted earlier an Observer headline from 2016, uh, which proclaimed that only fundamental social change can defeat the anxiety epidemic. And the article said there is a great and growing unease in parts of the psychology and psychiatry professions uh, that that too many practitioners have become trigger happy. In other words, that they've been too quick to prescribe mood-altering drugs to patients, only going through life events which are naturally anxiety-inducing. Now that's a bit of a mouthful, but basically the the article is saying that that if someone is increasing anxiety because... They've gone through a bereavement, perhaps. And many medics are getting uncomfortable with the idea that, that just prescribing medication is the automatic solution. Because we, so, so, so it says, so what is the, the, the fundamental social change that they suggest instead? Uh, and what they suggest instead is a move away from individualism. What needs to change? Uh, According to just a a normal secular newspaper, our our society needs to stop being so individualistic. What does the author mean by that? Well, in previous generations, what happened when people were facing potentially anxiety-inducing situations? Well, they would face them as part of family units or as, as part of some other network of people but now people are increasingly facing these events alone. And, and that's not a question of whether people are married or not, whether people have a, have a family around them, uh, people living in the same house. Uh, I'm part of this, this Facebook group that is 
20,000 members. It's not a Christian one, um, and I'm mostly just part of it to see what people in the UK are talking about. Uh, and the, the same questions come up again and again. And one of the big questions that keeps coming up is how do you make friends? That outside of work colleagues, apart from a husband, a wife, a partner, how do adults make friends? Uh, people are lonely, they want to make friends, they've no idea how to go about it. And yet people today prioritise individualism, doing their own thing, not being tied to anyone or anything, and yet it's leaving them achingly lonely. And social media doesn't help, of course. It, it, it promises to connect us to others, but often it ends up isolating us from real-life relationships. Uh, as a room full of people sit on their phones, alone together. The author of the Observer article says, we're, we're social beings and the building blocks of happiness lie in looking out for each other acting together, being in teams and pursuing common goals for the common good. What's their answer? Well, their answer is families, schools, colleges, trade unions and sports clubs. To be happy, we need to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So, so join a trade union or a sports club. Well, they're, they're right that individualism won't bring happiness. The right that we are made to be part of something bigger. But God has a far better answer than uh, go and find happiness in a, in a school, a trade union or a sports club. What's God's answer? God's answer is the church. Not the church as in a building, but the church is in a body of believers. Among fellow Christians, we can be open about our struggles. We don't have to walk in eggshells. Uh, we look out for one another and we have people looking out for us. The Apostle Paul once wrote to a church about sending them a fellow minister called Epaphroditus. And one of the reasons that he was doing it was so that he would be less anxious, uh, so that he would know that they were okay. Paul was in prison. He couldn't go and see uh, this church himself, but one of his fellow believers could. And in doing so, he helped, Paul, helped remove Paul's anxiety. The New Testament has a whole host of one another commands. Love one another, encourage one another, and so on. It's a beautiful picture of life in the family of God. If you're not uh, fully part of a church, this is an invitation to come and and be part of a church family and experience what these one another's are. So yes, anxiety is fundamentally a spiritual issue. But the answer isn't an individualised relationship with God. Uh, the answer is coming to trust in Jesus and then playing your part in the new humanity that Jesus is creating. And as we begin to draw things to a close tonight, I want to highlight one, one resource that may be helpful. It's this booklet called Hope in an Anxious World by Helen Thorne. Uh, if anyone's interested, I have a couple of copies uh, to give away. I, I can also get more. And in that booklet, she highlights six lies that anxiety tells. 
six lies that anxiety tells. Uh, And the first lie is, I'm all alone. Lie two is, everything is out of control. And do you see how what we've looked at tonight answers these two big lies? Everything is out of control. No, it isn't. Despite what it might seem like at times, Jesus Christ is on the throne of the universe. I'm all alone. You're not. To be part of a fellowship of God's people means that we don't have to go through anything alone. We'll actually deal with some of the other lies in uh, later talks in this series. Uh, Lie 5, this is all my fault, which ties in with what we'll look at tomorrow night as we think of the subject of shame. Lie 3 is, I've no way of knowing where to turn. Lie 4, I can't carry on. Lie 6, there's no hope for me. Uh, And we'll cover uh, those on Sunday uh, as we come to think of hope, where can I find it, and change, is it possible? But just to close this evening, I want to speak specifically to any here who who are already believers in Jesus Christ, but who are struggling or or do often struggle with anxiety. Because as, as I said earlier, Christians struggle with anxiety too. Uh, The author of Psalm 94 could say, when the cares of my heart are are many. In in other words, when he was was burdened down with with anxiety, uh, potentially anxiety-inducing things. And if that's you tonight, here's what I would say to you. First of all, don't believe anxiety's lies. You're not alone. Everything isn't out of control. There is hope for you and that hope is found in a God who is both good and in control a God who was good but not in control wouldn't be much help while a God who was in control but not good would be terrifying but you have a God who is both good and in control as Psalm 94 says or goes on to say, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Or as another version puts it, when anxiety was great within me, your consolations brought joy to my soul. And just to finish with one of the most precious verses in the Bible about anxiety, which is addressed to those who believe in Jesus, whether they've believed in him for a long time or whether they've only just started believing. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And how has he shown that he cares for you, believer? By going to the cross for you. And if you've trusted in him to take all your sins, you can trust him to take all your anxieties as well. One of the lies is that you are alone, that no one cares. But even by your being here tonight, God has brought you into contact with people who do care, who do genuinely care. And above all, the Lord Jesus cares for you our care for one another it doesn't always live up to what it should it doesn't always match up with the picture painted in the bible but the lord jesus 
His care for you is perfect. He has promised never to leave you or forsake you. So often we're like the disciples in the storm in the boat when Jesus is asleep, waking him in terror, saying, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? But he does care. He is good. He is in control. And you can trust him. You can trust him. Amen. Well, let's close by singing the the song on the back of your order of service. It's Psalm 127. Psalm 127. I've quoted it already tonight. It speaks in verse 2 about the bread that's gained by anxious toil. And the great contrast to that, which is God giving sleep to his beloved, just as he gave it to the Lord Jesus in the midst of the storm. And maybe uh, we, we, we sing about uh, God giving his beloved sleep and we, we think, well, well that, that doesn't always apply to me, but, but then we always tend to apply the Psalms first to ourselves when, when we should think, first of all, how they apply to the Lord Jesus. We think of Jesus in the midst of the storm on the boat and God gave his beloved sleep. And in the last two verses of the psalm, we sing about children and the blessing we are. Uh, Maybe it'll feel like, oh, well, this is something entirely different. Uh, And perhaps you feel this totally irrelevant to your life situation. But actually, one of the things that increases our anxiety is when we try to deal with situations by ourselves. And God has given all of us a family, uh, the church family, which we can be part of. And come to realise that no one has to be alone. So Psalm 127, the four verses on the sheet, uh, will stand to sing praise.